This podcast is brought to you by Dingle Mount Church. It will open up God's Word to you, inspire you to love God, and grow in the knowledge of Him, and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. Before we, uh, I go into the message tonight, I think uh, Malcolm would um, uh, do the scripture reading for us, and that is from the book of Joshua chapter 7. So it's slightly a bit of a long reading, but um, I'm sure he will do a good job at that. Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burns against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as, far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. 
and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zahites, and he brought the family of the Zahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. So Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. And they burnt them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Uh, thank you very much, Malcolm. Um, let's pray. Father, we just ask your blessing upon this portion that we've read tonight. And I ask, Lord, that as we uh, share for the next few Sundays from this portion, I pray that you will open our eyes to truly see uh, the horrors of sin in the camp. Uh, this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, for those uh, that have been following us in the morning service, we've been uh, started a series on um, uh, looking at confronting our giants. And today, one of those giants that we confronted, uh, we saw is fear and how we ought to deal with it. Uh, because the people of God came to a place and they could not do what God asked them to do or because they were afraid of their enemies or they called them the giants in the land. And so tonight we are starting a new series in the evening and what we'll be looking at is the horrors of sin or if you might choose to call it the downward path of sin. 
In Joshua chapter 7, where we read, there is a whole lot of lesson in there for us. And not just lessons that we can learn, but we also have some theological issues and questions that people do ask when they come to Joshua chapter 7. I don't know if you were like me when we got to towards the last part when he was killed and he was burnt. His sons and daughters, some read that portion of scripture and they find it very abhorring. Uh, one man sinned, but here his family is having to pay a very uh, big price uh, for what happened. Now, why should God uh, kill not just the man, but even his sons and daughters, and then burnt him alive? But there is a lesson in there for us. And to put it in perspective, if you're familiar with the book of Joshua, and if you come to chapter 6, this is leading up to chapter 7, what you find there is the destruction of Jericho. You remember what happened, how the people of God, uh, God spoke to them, gave them an instruction. It was part of their movement uh, to inherit the promised land. And Jericho was fortified, very strong. We knew the walls were massive, that not even anyone could break those walls down. But God did something miraculous for his people. They were able, blowing the trumpets, walking down around the walls a number of times that God asked them to do it, an act of obedience, an act of faith, depending that God will give them the victory. The walls came crumbling down. And so there you see, something had already happened. They obeyed God's instructions step by step. They followed all the divine instructions that God gave them. So this is a big contrast. Just going from one moment of victory to this moment of defeat. The gladness of victory that they experienced was soon replaced by the gloom of defeat. And what happened here in the book of Judges, Joshua chapter 7, is something that every Christian, not every Christian, but every church should begin to think about in our relationship with God. We know that God is a God. We call him a good God. We know he's a God of love. We know that God has given us good and precious promises. But one thing that God will not tolerate, not just in the life of a Christian, but even in the life of a church, is this subject of sin. Because when we talk about the horrors of sin, let us remember that this is exactly what took Jesus Christ to the cross. On that day, the Bible says that there was great darkness all over the earth about that hour. And God looked on his son, turned his back against his son. And what did he say? He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All because of the sin of humanity. And so God was with his people. He was giving them the victory. He gave them the instructions. Follow me, obey me, and it will be well with you. But go against my commandments, introduce sin into your camp, and it will not be well with you. We know that popular scripture that says that righteousness exalts a nation, but it says that sin is a reproach to any people. And there we have a classic example of sin being a reproach to the people. Now, if you look at that scripture in Joshua chapter 7, because what you find there, the word that was used to describe the offense of Achan, what he had already done, is a Hebrew word translated ma'al, and it's very, very crucial. Because remember that when Joshua began to pray and cry unto God, even before he cried, the Bible says, look at verse 1, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding their cursed things. For Achan, the son of Kami, the son of Zabdi, they traced his root, took something which he shouldn't have done. So that word they had transgressed, have trespassed regarding their cursed things is that Hebrew word ma'al. And it means to literally act undercover. 
In other words, here was a man who thought that God would not find him. Here was a man who thought he could keep secret sins in his life. Here was a man who thought that, yes, God was leading, God was guiding, but there are areas of his life that that same almighty God cannot see. That word again, ma'al, also means to deal treacherously, secretly. It indicates a breach of trust. And so it's something very serious. We know that relationships are built on trust. If I'm in a relationship with you, I ought to trust you. You ought to trust me. And then we can get the best out of that relationship. But here we have a man who not just only breached that trust, but he acted undercover, thinking that nobody will find him. And so they went out to battle, as we saw it, and it was horrible. The people of Israel were defeated. Normally, they should have overcome their enemies because don't forget, Jericho was a, I would call it a stronger opposition, but the walls came crumbling. They took the city. And so they assumed that Ai, a smaller place, they can easily overrun the city. And so they went in, but were completely defeated. And so Joshua went straight to God, fell on his face, and that is a normal human reaction when things happen. There is an inquest. We want to find out what exactly has happened. And so he began to call on God, pray, cry to God. But God said something to him. But before I get to what God said to him, look at Exodus chapter 23 so that you can understand fully well the promises that God had already had given. And so Joshua went to God based on this promise. Exodus chapter 23 and look at verse 22. And this is where you have like a covenant Trust me, believe me, be faithful to me, and I will bless. And this is what God says in Exodus 23, verse 22. He says, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, he says, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. It was settled, just like we saw this morning, and an adversary to your adversaries. He said, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. It says, and I will cut them off. This is God promising. He said, I will deal with your enemies. And so when Joshua went to God, he knew exactly what the promises of God were. God, you said you will defeat our enemies. You said you will help us in the time of need. You promised that you will bring us into that good land. But here, it doesn't seem to be happening. We have just gone through Jericho, the moment of victory, and all of a sudden it's just been replaced by the gloom of defeat. What is happening? He fell on his face and began to call on God. And I love the answer that God gave him. And sometimes this is where the problem is. You remember when Michaelis was preaching and the people of Israel were asking God a question, what was happening? What was going on? And God said, you come and I will show you what the problem is. You look into the temple and see what my people are doing and the same thing going on here God showed Joshua and talked to him and said the problem is not that God had broken his covenant the problem is that God is no longer a good God if you look at verse 7 he says and Joshua said alas Lord God why have you brought those people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us he says oh that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before his enemies? Because Israel wasn't meant to turn his back against the enemies. But here we had them, 36 men were killed and they fled before. It was something that was unthinkable. Israel fleeing before their enemies. And God said to him, Joshua, don't grieve for the defeat. 
What you need to do is to eliminate the cause. And sometimes this is something that we don't tend to think about so much. It is not defeat that's the problem. The problem is there is something that has brought the defeat. It's just like when a Christian, or not let me say a non-Christian, is living a life and um, he's been spoken to, told him to give his life to Christ, accept Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, and he persists in his sin. And then you see things happening as a result of sin. But the question is, is that the reality is that it is not that there is defeat. The point is there is something, the cause, and this is what people fail to see. Because where you have sin, you have the effects of sin. We all know that today, the world we live in, some of the things we see today, the wars and the fightings and the killings, and it's all a result of living in a fallen world. And God said to Joshua, don't grieve for that defeat. What you have to do is eliminate sin. And God was very serious about this. It shows you that God takes sin seriously. God will never break his covenant. God will always be good to us and his people. But the problem is that when we begin to meddle with things that God clearly says, do not meddle with. And we know that in our world today, or even in our society or community as we have it, people do have a very tame view of sin. We've been conditioned somehow to accept sin, and it has become the norm. So our conscience sometimes isn't really troubled. It doesn't matter what we do. We can sin against God as much as we want, and the next minute, you know, we come to church, act like everything is normal. Our conscience somehow becomes seared. We are not bothered. I want you to picture Achan in the midst of God's people, knowing the promises of God, going on a battle with God's people, and then taking this accursed thing and hiding it in the camp, and yet acting like everything is all right. And that shows you how deceptive, and that's why that word ma'al says he acted on that cover treacherously. He, he, he breached the trust that the people had uh, in God and that he should also have in God. And when God spoke to Joshua, we now saw the finger of judgment. What happened? God picked them out by their tribes, picked them out by their families, picked them out by the household, and then finally they got to the man. Now, when I read that portion, I'm sure you as well must be wondering, because this is one man's sin that we are talking about here. But one man's sin led to the defeat of a whole nation. Remember the scriptures in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 18. I'm just going to read that quickly. Where he says that I think that one sinner destroys much good. I don't know if you've come across that scripture, but it's a very important scripture. Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, and verse 18, he says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. And that's what they went with, weapons of war, to destroy, to fight. But he says, but one sinner destroys much good. And this is what happened. Achan was one sinner who was in the camp. And one sin of that man brought defeat to a whole nation. And this shows you that Israel as a whole acted as a unit. When one member sinned against God, it is assumed that the whole have sinned against God. And you can relate this to the life of the church. Remember when Paul was speaking in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 so that we can see parallels. Because like I said, uh, this is something that as Christians, as churches, we need to be thinking. It's one thing to go to God and cry, why are we not seeing our signs? Why is this happening? We are more interested in defeat. But sometimes the church is not probing, asking and repenting, falling on their faces. 
and saying there must be something wrong here that we need to deal with. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26. And he says in verse 26 there, and if one member suffers, so God sees the body of Christ as a unit, just in the same way that God saw Israel as a unit. He says, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, he says, all the members rejoice with it. 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So what Paul does is he retains that individuality that Christians should have. We are individuals, no doubt about it. You got saved, I got saved. But at the same time, he sees us as a unit. When one member suffers, every other member suffers. The same thing, God saw Israel as a unit. When one member suffered, everybody else suffered. When one member sinned against God, God's wrath was completely exposed towards his people. And there you see Joshua going to Achan and asking him after he was picked out, what have you done? He called him my son. And you can see his compassion for this, young, for this man. My son, give glory to God. You know, because he knew that when sin comes into the camp, it doesn't glorify God. And that's why he says, you give glory to God. What has happened? What have you done? And Achan makes those, that, those famous words that we know. He says, I have sinned. He owned up. He accepted. He said, this is what has happened. I saw the Babylonian garments and I took it. I have sinned. And I think this is where God is getting at. I have sinned. There is something that has gone wrong in my relationship with God. I have breached that trust. God was expecting more from me. I have forgotten that we are a unit. We are meant to fight together. We are meant to retreat together. But I took something that I should not have taken. And Joshua looked at him and told him, he said, why have you troubled Israel? Do you know what his name, Achan, do you know actually that's what it means? Trouble, more or less like someone who troubles. And in the valley where he was buried, when they took him to the valley of Achor, the valley of Achor, there's a play of words there in the Hebrew, also means trouble. And so the same man who troubled Israel, God's people, had to be taken to that same place that was called designated trouble. And that was where he was killed. And this is see how God had to purge the camp. The same thing you'll find in the New Testament. When the church was growing, things were happening. Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could get away with anything. And the man of God asked them, he says, is this how much you sold this for? And they said, yes, that is it. And by the time he said it, his wife, of course, we know what happened to him. And his wife came in and she also partook of that same punishment. It shows you that God views sin and takes it seriously. How many people in the church today can confess like Achan that and truly say, Lord, I know that I have sinned. How many people who are even non-Christians can own up to the fact that sin is a reproach to any people? Because sometimes, you know, we treat it like there's nothing wrong. It's something that any, everyone does it. That's the justification. But God's own people are called to be different. We are into a, in a covenant relationship with God. God has placed us in a position where we are supposed to be like the light in a dark world. But let us explore the downward path of Achan's sins as I begin to round up. Now, the first thing you see in the life of Achan there, the downward path of sin, he said, I saw, I don't know if you noticed his words when he was confronted. Look at that again. He said, this is what happened. I saw in verse 21. He says, when I saw, and that was the beginning of his problems. 
And that tells you that temptations does enter through the senses. Remember, go to Genesis chapter 3. From the beginning, what did the woman say when she was tempted? She saw of the fruit. She desired it. It was good for fruit. And she took it in. Our senses, those are the areas that temptation does come in. Remember David, when kings went to war in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, and he was on the top of his balcony and was looking around. And what happened? He saw this woman who was having a bath. And then she called her. And that was how sin unfolded. So temptation does enter through the senses. He saw those Babylonian garments. 200 shekels of silver. Achan must have justified himself. Uh, it would be a shame to destroy all this. And in every sin there is always justification. Because sometimes people don't want to accept that they have broken that trust. They try to justify themselves. He may have justified himself by saying, well, I could actually use them by taking them. What's the point of destroying them? He may have said, well, no one is looking. And that's why the Bible says that he acted undercover. No one is looking. I can get away with this. Or he may have said, there is no harm in it. And that is in every sin, in every transgression, that is what you find. Man trying to justify himself. And that's why when God looked at it, God knew that this is a man who had come to a place where he could not understand that deep relationship that Israel had with his God. He saw, and for us, when we talk about the downward path of sin, this is something that we all, I have to be careful, we have to be careful, we have to speak to those who maybe are young Christians that the temptation does enter through the senses. When we see, we desire, and then we see things unfold. Now, go back to that chapter again, and you see the next thing he said, apart from when he said he saw it, he said, when I saw among the spoils a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, that's verse 21, he says, and a wage of gold weighing 50 shekels. I mean, this is great confession going on here. He said, I coveted them. I desired to have them. And when you go into scripture, actually you have more warnings about covetousness than any other sin in the Bible. I saw, not only did I see, there's nothing wrong in seeing, but the problem is how you see. I can see the same thing. You can look at the same thing. David, like any other man, could have stood on the balcony and had seen that woman having the bath. But then the problem was how he saw. He dwelt on it. He allowed it to take root in his heart. And he says, I coveted. I wanted to have it. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Remember Jesus speaking. What did Jesus say? Jesus Christ says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And that's why he reminded that young man, he says, beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. Every temptation that we will ever go through is rooted in desire. No wonder why when you go to the book of James chapter 1, remember James chapter 1 verse 13. What does the scripture say? Let's quickly go to the book of James chapter 1 verse 13. This is the anatomy of sin, how sin is made up of, is, is structured. In James chapter 1, uh, look at verse 13 of James chapter 1. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. It says, For God cannot be tempted by evil. He says, Nor does he himself tempt anyone. He says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. He says, Then when desire has conceived, he said, It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth that and that is what we saw he saw it he justified himself covetousness came in 
He took it, and there we saw what happened. And then that's why he said, after I go back to Joshua chapter 7, and he says, and I coveted it, them, and took them. He didn't stop at covetousness. He actually carried out the theft. And this shows you, when I thought about it, he said, I took them. In other words, he just said, I stole them. You didn't just take them because it's not yours. It was meant to be kept for destruction. God had already said, this is what it should be. And he said, I took them. The inward desire becomes then an overt act. And you see what was happening in the life of this man. And when you think about those play of words, he said he took. Actually, he wasn't the one taking. The reality is that sin was taken from him. And this is sometimes what people fail to realize. That when you're committing the act and you're consciously disobeying God and doing your own thing, you think you're taking. But actually, sin is actually the one taken from you. Because think about it. He stole Achan's character. A man who was part of a group now was singled out for destruction. It robbed God's work. The advancement of, God's, of the people of God was halted all because of one man's sin. It brought great distress and defeat to God's people. So who was taken from who? He thought he was taking the Babylonian garments and 200 shekels of silver. But in reality, sin was taken from him. It dishonored God. It killed 36 men. And it halted the advance of the people of God. So when you compare it, who took more? They can't took Babylonian camels and Turin shekels. But when you weigh up the things that sin took from him, it was more. And this is what some people, some even Christians, fail to see. When God says, serve me. When God says, you're called to be holy people. You're called to keep yourselves for me. God is saying, because sin can destroy. Sin is a reproach. Sin takes more than it can ever give. Go back to verse 21 and you see what else happened. After he said, I coveted them, I took them. This is downward path. You see how he's going? And then the next thing he says, and I, after he coveted them, he says, there they are hidden in the earth. So not only did he take it, but he hid it. So the act was complete, perfected. And in that word, I hid it, actually shows you the inconsistency that sin brings into our lives. Remember, this was a man who had taken something that didn't belong to him, maybe have justified himself for doing it, and now he's hiding it. So that tells you that there was something in his conscience that was telling him that what you are doing is wrong. And that is it. The sinner knows exactly sometimes that his conscience, what he is doing, isn't glorifying God. He justified himself, no harm in it, but yet he went ahead and hid his loot. And this shows you that sometimes man or, or humans, we do make a vain effort to hide our sins. You remember in the book of um, in Genesis, Adam, that was the same thing. When God came calling after they had sinned against God, they hid from the face of God. And that's what happens. Remember not just that, even David, the same thing, when he did it undercover and thought nothing, well, nobody would find out. And that is it. But the reality is that God was watching god knew exactly that someone had transgressed his commandment god saw that that act was something that ought to be dealt with and i think that on that great day of judgment when we all stand before god the sin of achan as we have it will actually be multiplied on that day because you have people who have covered their sins all the way through thinking that nobody will find them out thinking that they could get away with anything 
But you remember that scripture in the book of Numbers, chapter 32, verse 23. I love that scripture. Some of us, we know the scripture and we use it a lot. But look at Numbers 20, uh, 32 and verse, um, verse 23. Numbers 32 and verse 23. It says there, but if you do not do so, it says, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And that's the phrase I'm coming to. It says, and be sure... He says, your sin will find you out. <laughs> you know, we say this to people. It's a popular phrase. Your sin will find you out. But sometimes we don't really think of the truth locked up in those statements. Your sin will find you out. It's only, it's only a matter of time before God's wrath and anger will be revealed. We may get away with it now, but on that day, Bible says we all will give an account of how we have lived our lives. But the great news is there is a place that you can go to. There is a place that I can come to and hide my sins. And that is beneath the blood of Jesus. And that is what gives me great joy. And that should give you great joy. That no matter what those sins are, no matter what those troubles, the problem is not hiding the sins. God said you can hide it, but you can hide it under the blood. Bring it to Jesus Christ. Confess it to him. Lay it down at his feet. You remember that song that we sing, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. I find a place. To stand. And that is what Jesus Christ did for us. Right there on the cross, he died for you. Right there on the cross, he suffered. He took your place, he took my place. And he's saying, everything has been exposed. Sin has been judged. Now you can confidently come to him and it says, hide your sins. Be covered under the precious blood of Jesus. But Achan failed to see how serious sin is. He failed to come out openly and say, this is what, we don't have to wait for God to find it. That's why that scripture says, your sins will find you out. It's only in judgment that when we stand before him, that's when we have to give an account. But I don't have to wait to give an account if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can give your heart to the Lord right here and now. And you don't have to face judgment. You can come to me and say, these are my sins. I bring them before you. My righteousness is nothing. You can accept me the way I am. And that shows you, people of God, that the consequences of sin is so, so great. I was reading a commentary recently, and he was talking about the effects of sin in the church. And I'm just going to read this out to you because it's very, very important. And what this man was doing was comparing the problems that sin can introduce into a church. Like I said, just like Achan, you know, Take the loot, do what you want, and just act like everything is normal. But listen to what this man says. He said, so many churches are in a lamentable condition because of hidden sin. He says, and instead of enjoying the blessings of the Lord, he says, they must endure his anger. He says, they are humiliated before the forces of evil instead of experiencing victory. He says, a deadness prevails over one meeting after another. The presence of the Lord is rarely sensed. He said, when last was there a conversion? He says, the vibrancy of healthy growth is absence. He says, there is sin in the camp, hidden carnality. And when you think about it, it rings a bell. He says, and it kills the spirit of power and liberty. And for us, not until we'll come to God, confess our sins, repent of it, the same cycle will be repeated over 
and over. And we know churches round and about us, this country, they may have names, churches on them, but what goes in there, the people are not crying out to God. There is no hard cry of deep repentance. There is no hunger to seek after God. Sin is embraced, and when the, actually the sinner is congratulated and told, you're doing quite well. But the Bible says sin is a reproach to any people, and the church as well included. And this is why we have to, like I said, always come to the cross. Sin, like we have seen, has got a downward path. And as we follow that downward path, it leads to destruction. Achan, as his name is, troubled God's people. And God had to trouble him. And he was buried in a place also called trouble. Now, when you read scripture, it's come that scripture is so rich and deep with meaning. And my prayer for not just for you, for me, is that we will understand the purity that God expects of his church. We'll come to a place where we understand that we are a unit. When one member suffers, every member suffers with it. When one member hides his sin, somehow it spreads, it penetrates, and kills the spirit of vibrancy and openness that we should have, where God's presence is felt in our midst. And my prayer is that truly that sin will always and constantly be dealt with in the church. Shall we just bow our hearts and, um, and speak to God just for a few seconds? If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dingle Mount Church or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.